This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm your host, Chris Hambling, and myself, Kara Skipper, and Mike Scott are here to begin your end-of-season extravaganza. As many of our panel members as possible will be involved to give you two shows of everything Palace for the 22-23 season. This episode, we'll discuss how Vieira has changed things at Palace, and there's an extended interview with Palace women's boss, Dean Davenport. So, as I mentioned, it's Kara and Mike with me. Um, I've decided to grace you with my presence after a pretty, uh, well, you know, sparse season of presenting podcasts from myself. But hey, you know, I've earned it. We've been doing this a decade. But um, I think, you know, quick, quick hellos to, I'll start with you, Mike, as you're on the top of the screen as I look. Hello. I mean, I mean, he's muted now. I can't hear a word he's saying. This... Uh... Uh, are you, you're writing down that as an edit point, are you? I think we should keep that in. <laughs> How are you doing? Sorry, we, we've just done an interview with Dean Davenport. Yeah. You know, it's been lovely, and and now my brain's fried. I think, if anything, that should have allowed you to, to be much smoother and, uh, you know, you'd practised. Um, and the fact that, that you did that at that moment makes me very, very happy. So good to have you well, on board, Mike. Good to speak to you too, Rambo. Mm. Hi, Cara. How about you? Are you going to speak first? Hello. Yeah. yeah. I think I might just sit back and enjoy you two, actually. Yeah, it's been um, a good start, hasn't it? <laughs> what, what I particularly enjoy about it is not just that we always record the pod in this way and none of us can use it, but also that <laughs> after, like, God knows how many years of us all doing this through COVID, we still can't use it. So No, no. And I refuse to learn. Uh, I'm not going to grow or or improve as a human being i'm nearly 42 that is that's finished now it's now a slow roll down the hill to death and that's and that's it's what life's the, about uh, yeah taking roy hodgson approach there well exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway so we have got some palace news this week before we get involved we will be talking of course a uh, quick look back at the man united game great way to end the season strolling to victory uh, against them a lot and um, yeah a really strong performance to end the season with as well you can talk about you know the 
the fact they didn't have their best lineup out. I don't think they know their best lineup anyway. But we, you know, gave opportunity to a uh, to a youngster, and you know, we we had a few players uh, on the bench as well that you know maybe would have started in normal times. So to see them, you know, win that game so comfortably was great, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But main focus of today will be looking back at the season, and we're going to kind of focus on the first half of the season up until. Uh, the, really, the start of the cup run, um, where we where we beat Millwall. I think that's probably where we'll end things. Uh, but we'll probably refer to stuff that happened later on, and I'm sure uh, the second half of this end of season show will refer back to stuff that happened in the first part of the season. It will be fairly fluid, but that's roughly what we're going to cover for you. Um, and yeah, hopefully it will be as entertaining as always. But I think news. Well, but just just before you jump into that, just to say because you haven't heard it yet, but the Dean Davenport interview is awesome. So even if you don't want to hear any more of us, just skip forward until Dean's on there. Like it's 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 a great half an hour chat. The man is a legend. Are we? Gonna, that's going to be at the end of this show, right? It is going to be at the end of this show. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then there'll be uh, another interview. I'm not going to spoil it, but there'll be another interview in the second half of the season review as well, which I'm sure you'll also enjoy. Thanks, Mike, for the correction there. And it was seamless. Probably probably wrong to refer to it now, isn't it? Because then it becomes clunky again. Just in case people were about to turn off. No, it's good. It's good. I, If anything, I've made it awkward. So, <laughs> Palace News this week. Uh, I suppose hot off the press as we record. Um, new sponsors. Cara, it's an exciting uh, new sponsor. And obviously, it also caused a wonderful discussion in the back of the Nest group that I didn't avoid in any way, where DR started to educate people on a number of topics. Um, so, first of all, your reaction, not to DR, because uh, you fell into the trap of engaging with him, but the, in fact, your reaction to Palace announcing a sponsor that was not a betting uh, organisation of any kind. Very happy with the lack of betting sponsor i don't actually know that much about since to be fair apart from the whole um rylan clark thing is that mm. a thing is that his name don't it's, know yeah something like that rylan, I think clark it's rylan davis isn't it oh. maybe i'm wrong. Like, i'll look this up while <laughs> he muted himself halfway through that sentence as yeah. well he's having an absolute stormy show i've had a theory about rylan for quite a while that um him and Olivier Giroud look remarkably alike and nobody's ever seen them in the same room at the same time. So I think they might be the same person. I mean, if Giroud stretched his face, like <laughs> pinned it back, that I think they would be, yeah, identical. What? That's creepy. So it, it, you're absolutely right. It's Ryland Clark-Neal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's been quite a lot of uh, Palace-related abuse with random pictures of people with massive teeth he, he looks like a. He, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. He's uh, yeah. He's always fun when he when he presents things. I can't for the life of me. I saw him on uh, stand up to cancer bake off. He was quite entertaining on that. Unless I dreamt that, I'm pretty sure that that happened. Um, but yeah, if I did dream that, don't write in. Um, but look, you know, in terms of a sponsor, I mean, look, you know, we know, you know, ourselves, you know, uh, we've. Being in that position as a sports broadcaster, you know, you get offered what you get offered in terms of uh, in terms of advertising. Um, you know, a football club tends to have a bit more choice than a podcast. But you know, when when a podcast uh, is you know is covering a team that is sponsored by a betting organisation, 
you know that that was our justification for our sponsor and I, and I think people gave us some stick for it and, and you know probably rightly so you know you have to you have to kind of try to try to be logical and try to make the right choices but seeing palace come along and, and you know pick something like since you um you know are quite a you know quite a, a reputable company they've they've grown incredibly um you know not that uh you know not that we're necessary <laughs> we're not sponsored by them so i'm not going to talk too too strongly about how good they are or anything like that and i've not used them but it just it just sits a little better to see the club uh taking a, a brave step away from what probably would have been more money elsewhere to to go down this route yeah i think so and i think we have to remember you know there'll be a lot of fans of palace and of um you know other clubs that that uh use betting companies as their sponsor that will have struggled or be struggling with with um you know some kind of uh betting addiction or whatever um and those sponsors could potentially exclude them from being able to follow their team in a kind of you know safe and confident way so I think for me that's the biggest aspect of it is you know there's one conversation about the kind of morality of money in football at Newcastle um but there is another thing about how do we just make it, how do we make watching football and being a part of your club um, as inclusive as possible? And I think anything that makes it difficult for people to deal with what they're dealing when football should be a place for them to escape is something that shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be welcomed. So yeah, really happy to see no betting logos on any shirts. It's great to see Palace on, on this curve but I, I think most other clubs are going to follow suit because of the fact that there's going to be a block on it before too long. Um, there was news this week about the fact that um, there's a heavy push for all Premier League clubs to stop using any kind of betting site as uh, a sponsor. So I think they might just be jumping before they're pushed, to be honest. Yeah, that's probably a good point. I mean, I you know I, I speak as someone who you know had some some gambling issues in the past, you know, and it's it's something that's fortunately behind me. Um, you know, and I do and I do feel strongly about it. You know, we do. You know, as I, as I mentioned, we you know we've had the same sponsorship ourselves, and we looked at that in a, in a lot of detail, and we we knew some people wouldn't like it, and you know, and I I just yeah I go back to the reasoning that if you've got a, a bunch of people. Um, watching a team running around with a betting logo on their shirt whilst they're paying their Sky Sports subscriptions, which are full of betting adverts and all that kind of stuff. It feels a bit rich to to pick on a podcast that, uh, you know, people paying out money out of their own pockets to do to do something for nothing. So that's how I felt about it. But, you know, on reflection, I do, I do think, you know, in an ideal world, well, if we'd had any other choice, I think we probably would have gone a different way. So, you know, I hope this is the start of something that, that sees that link between sports, particularly football and and betting, you know, being broken and it doesn't become part of the culture. You know, we don't have people, you know, up and down the country standing there with betting slips in their hands and, and focusing on other results rather than watching and supporting their teams. And, and for some people that, you know, that £2.50 accumulator bet is their, their hope for the, for the, for the week. And you can see it's similar to a lottery and things like that, but it's still, you know, it's still a bit of a fallacy that, that it's gonna, gonna, you know, solve anything for anyone. So the further away from that we get, the better. Um, but yeah, moving away from that, great news for Palace. So first of all, you know, great that, that they're also fronting both uh, men's and women's teams as well. I think that's a really good move in terms of the shirt sponsorship, and not something that's that I've, I've noticed too much in the past. So that's also a real positive. But we'll move away from that 
Uh, and let's talk about England call-ups again. Uh, no, no Tyreek Mitchell for the Nations League games, but Conor Gallagher and Mark Gay making the squad. Um, I suppose, you know, again, I'll, I'll start with yourself, Mike. Um, I don't think we're surprised. I think, you know, the the performances of both in an England shirt was was really good, really strong when we when they when they've performed. And um, you know, Gal- Conor Gallagher has had an, an astonishing season. But Mark Gay is getting talked up. I think he got Rookie of the Year for the Athletic. Uh, it was recently announced, uh, which is an interesting way of going about things. But um, really strong performance, and, and you know, crucially linked with a move to Spurs already as well <laughs> in the press I saw this week. But you know, we're going to get that, I suppose, when you see uh, players playing for Palace getting called up for England. Yeah, I noticed on Twitter that DR just reposted that rumour with the words jog on, which I thought was a, a phrase that died in about 2008. So yeah, before he was born, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the question I wanted to ask is, what positive effect does the, does the Conor Gallagher um, call-up have on Palace? Is there is there any kind of financial remuneration? Does he count as a Palace player while he's been called up? Does that mean that Chelsea have to fork out any more money? Yeah, I believe there were some, certainly some confirmation on uh, social media that there was a there was a clause in the loan agreement that that was, you know, uh, activated when he got called up for the Nations League games. So there is a, a financial benefit to Palace for sure, uh, which which is really good news. I mean, you know, it's really good news hiding the obvious bad news that you know is not a palace player really anymore um which is a which is a real shame but uh still really 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 positive stuff yeah i I mean mark gay is amazing i i sort of forget how young he is that the fact that he's he's younger than tyrant mitchell isn't he by by a few months i think so yeah yeah it's just absolutely amazing The, the guy has gone from strength to strength and there's no way that he's not um between him and Wilf, my, my player choices for the season. Carl, how about your reaction in terms of the kind of double-edged sword, I suppose, of, of seeing somebody like Mark Gay called up for England, that reputation growing all the time? Yeah, well, I was just thinking when you guys were talking about it, I think it has definitely that undoubtedly been the case uh well, forever, um, that as soon as we see those uh, England call-ups happen or international call-ups happen, we think, oh, right, okay, they're out the door. But do you guys think that where we're at now in terms of, like, expectations for the team next season and the the season's kind of following that, if Vieira's to stay, will we start seeing, are we moving into a a position where actually we'll keep those players and those players will want to stay with us rather than just snatching up the big club deals where they're potentially going to sit on the bench um yeah i mean it's what you hope isn't it you that's always the moment isn't it that you you just think at some point we're going to stop being that club that as soon as we get some success for our players their reward is leaving our football club you know that's you go all the way back to to 1991 uh 92 where we finished third and looking at the squad we had then and thinking okay all we needed was just a sprinkling more quality and we could stay up there. And what actually happened was the side got dismantled fairly quickly, you know, with, with Ian Wright leaving being the catalyst. And you kind of look at what we have now and you think, you know, Zaha with a year on his contract, you know, 
at least say the talk about getting him under another contract, but the release clause is in there. Um, you know, you look at Gallagher going back and yeah, you, you could kind of have equal trepidation as you, as you could excitement, but you know, the, the talk coming out of the camp is that they love playing for Vieira. You know, he's talking about increasing that ambition. The club have recruited really well and, and, and you know, everyone's, you don't perform like we have as a team without there being a real team spirit, without, without engendering some kind of collective forward thinking. So I honestly think we've got the, a better chance than ever, but, but it does really put the pressure on for next season because I don't think you keep this group together. Certainly somebody like Mark Gay isn't going to hang around with the reputation growing the way it is with him representing his country um, if Palace sort of drop off and, you know, one player leaving could spark an exodus if we if we don't, you know, put our foot down and, and keep building this squad and keep growing it and getting more talent in. Just just going to over what Spurs have done in the past, I, I can't honestly see them offering some huge contract that's going to turn his head with, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. So, yeah, I mean, A, it's a rumour because we're talking about the very start of the... Um, the, the transfer window and B, I just, I don't think that's a club that you need to be worried about. I, I can't see a situation where Daniel <laughs> Levy's suddenly going to go, I'm going to pull out a load of money and buy him, just out, pay so much money that we've got him. It's, I can't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know what it would take for Palace to, to sell him. I really don't. Um, but yeah, I assume there's no release clause there or anything like that. And, and I dare say Chelsea have probably got a sell-on fee. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be a fair old amount, I would say. Anyway, uh, to round off the news as quickly as possible, so we can get get chatting more about the football. Um, and the it's Teo Adam Adamola and Jake O'Brien have been called up for the Ireland Under Twenty One squad, uh, which is fantastic news for those two as well. And you know, further, I, I know there was a three. Young players called up for the England under-18s, under I think it was, the other day as well. I think it was Joe Whitworth, Caden Rodney, and some poor person who I've forgotten, um, um, who's very talented, obviously. <laughs> but, oh, that's awkward. You see, you get older and you just you forget things, don't you? That's the problem. Um, and, you know, go go back 10 years and start listening to us when we were Homestay Radio and, that that hambo never forgot a thing, you know. Uh, Jack Wells Morrison, there you go. Um, I've rescued it there, didn't I? It was perfect. You can get that. Seamless. Someone, someone can get that in the edit and make me sound less ridiculous. Anyway, right. great news um, for for those two indeed. And Jacob Bryan's obviously been on loan at Swindon and, and played a, a decent part there. Uh, and Adaramola obviously made his debut for for Palace, and he and uh, and. Jez Raksaki have been with the the first team squad since the academy uh, stopped for the season as well. So, um, yeah, you know, again, big things expected from those. Uh, So shall we move on quickly uh, to have a quick, very, very quick glance back at the final game of the season? Um, And really, to be honest with you, it's going to be a bit of me quizzing you two because... Uh, I had a very disruptive uh, day that day and I was able to kind of watch it, but without full focus. And it was really disappointing for me. And I didn't get to to see live Vieira's speech. I didn't get to see for the first time in over a decade, the end of season lap of honor and, and things like that. I didn't say 
goodbye to Martin Kelly um, and, and any others that might have looked like they were saying goodbye. That, in fact, that, that lap of honour, when you're looking to see who's crying and who might be going somewhere, that kind of stuff. So I'll start with you, Cara, kind of reflections on if I can start at the end of the game, if that's a weird thing to do, and, and say, what did you what did you think uh, of the final game of the season? Uh, and what about the you know those last moments, the, the Vieira speech, the players going? Well, the so the Vieira we we can't really get into it until we've mentioned my favourite chant of all time um, to celebrate celebrate sorry uh, Vieira. Did we just say kicking the Everton fans? Yeah, he did. That's what he did. It was great. I support it. We all support it. Like you know, if they're going to be put in that position um, and they're going to be left to fend for themselves, if somebody's stupid enough to square up to Vieira, what do you think is going to happen? So uh, when he started doing his speech, uh, and I think it was, I think it was happening as he was doing as he was doing the the lap as well. But it, it the whole stadium erupted in. Um, he kicks who he likes. He kicks who he likes. He's Patrick Vieira. He kicks who he likes. And it was absolutely brilliant. Um, but the best thing about it was the camera being on his face and he, the like flash of all of the like PR and media training he's ever had, like flashing before his eyes, being like, don't celebrate this, don't celebrate this, don't celebrate this. But very clearly wanting somebody to have caught it on video so that he can go home, watch it and sing along <laughs> to it, I think, probably. Um, so that was by far my highlight of the entire day, um, even though... We beat Man United at Celeste. Um, but no, it was good. There was a real buzz. And I think like his speech was really um was really nice at the end because like paid a lot of tribute to the staff and not just the kind of um high profile staff, but like all of the staff who make the club allow the club to run, really. Um and I think that said something, it says something about the the type of manager he is and and the kind of way that he's embedded himself into the club and kind of really feels like he's a part. Um of the whole club rather than just doing his day job. Um, and it was just a great, it was really great atmosphere, really, really amazing kind of uh, togetherness, a really nice celebration of people just feeling really excited, which I feel like isn't a normal thing to experience as a Palace fan, um, especially a whole stadium of us feeling like that. Um, so yes, it was very enjoyable. And it was actually the first uh one of those that I've been present for. So um, probably the best one to have experienced. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like you say, that's, that's definitely not the way it normally goes. You don't, that outpouring of positivity is usually, you know, you usually see that maybe in a promotion season, something like that. Um, you know, that's, so I'm thinking about, you know, 2004 and, and obviously I, I forget now it's been 10 years, hasn't it? So it would have been tw- 2012, uh, those two promotion seasons, but obviously through the playoffs, you don't get that same thing. But anyway, it's, you know, those kinds of put that kind of positive um, vibe that you, you don't really get to experience that often as a, as a Palace fan. And I think, you know, the entire time I've been a Palace supporter, I don't think that I've ever seen the support on hold this excited about the team and about the football that we're watching. Um, and we'll reflect on that in a bit for sure about, you know, the standard of football, about what, how it's made, what, and again, as I said to you before we started recording, when you start to look back at the results from the, certainly the first half of the season in particular, they're not as good as I remember them being. And and that, I think that tells you a lot about the performances uh, and the standard and and how competitive we've been this year, because even when the results haven't gone for us, it's not really felt like a chore at any point. 
Uh, Mike, your kind of uh, your reflections really on the, the the final day of the season, how it went for you, and, and what feelings it left you with. I just got to say, first off, plus goal difference, people, plus goal difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I wasn't there because I I had my kids and I couldn't get a babysitter, so I was oh. absolutely gutted. I uh may have passed on my ticket unless somebody from the club is listening in which case I absolutely didn't pass on my ticket uh, and it was well used but I was absolutely gutted so I was watching it at home uh with my kids around me so unfortunately I didn't get to see any of that and when I heard about the uh, with the, the chant from Terence I was <laughs> absolutely gutted that I wasn't there there we go. Um, I do want to say that I can talk about the fact that my ticket went to somebody else because I did ask the club directly if I could do so uh, on on health grounds. So, um, which I was been allowed to do a season, and, and kudos to the club for that for understanding that um, why I was, uh, um, you know, being as cautious as I was this year. Um, and luckily, I was able to pass it on to uh, Hartlepool United defender Timmy Odesina. Uh, as a reward for him being so uh, generous to my uh, to Michael Elise earlier on at the FA Cup this season, um, I'm not going to explain any more than that. I don't know him personally, but um, you you but... have to explain more than that. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know. If I'm, I mean, he's someone Dr knows, um, and he wouldn't want to come to the game, so I felt it was the right thing to do in the circumstances. I don't think Dr passed on my my message, which was. Uh, you can have it as a token of my appreciation for your fuck up, um, you know, against us in the cup. But... So are you saying this was the deliberate mistake and we actually only beat him 2-0 because... <laughs> no, I don't think you could say that he had any kind of uh, prior knowledge that this would be a situation. Okay. It's just worked out. It's just, just a little bit of a, you know, he'll stop, probably still be quite devastated about that moment. Um, and this is just a little little bit of a reward for his hard work um you know are you, are you setting a precedent here are you saying that anyone in the fa cup next year mm. who allows us to score you'll give them your ticket i'll go further than that any player from any opposing team who allows palace to win a football match can approach me for a ticket and i will get them a ticket <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I was about to say I'll offer the league cup up for my ticket. Yeah, you're um, going to go with so... league cup, are you? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I don't mind any game. The bar's okay. just been dropped so low from an <laughs> FA Cup <laughs> game to just anything, any yeah. game, any goal, just any. Uh, any no, no, not a, not not like a friendly at Bromley or something. But... <laughs> uh, no, I suppose not a friendly. It has to it has to count for something, I guess. Um... <laughs> anyway, so uh, look. Game-wise, we're not going to analyse it at all. I, you know, I thought it was a very strong performance, but it was—it didn't feel like we had to to really work that hard to beat Man United. They looked like a a team that had really given up an outgoing manager who, you know, threw a couple of youngsters in there, and, and you know, but frankly, that this is you know one of the poorest um, Man United teams that I think I've seen in a while. Um, but you know, you. you can make all the excuses you like, but for you know, a set of professional footballers to not care really, which they didn't, um, kind of does us a disservice to a point though, because we were very, very good. You know, um, I think it's, I, you know, I could you could pick out a few players, but I think the last few games in particular, watching Eze start to find a bit of rhythm, um, and you know, he could, and I think he was who Vieira was talking about when he said we might have the 
the Conor Gallagher replacement at the club already. Um, I think that's what he's talking about there, you know, because Eze can be that player. Um, defensively, has a bit bit to go to match Gallagher's tenacity and energy, but but he has the talent really to to, to cover that gap. And that was really good to see, um, you know. And for, for me, you know, Wilfred's goal was was excellent. He's you know fourteen this season, fifteen if you count the cup. You know, that's a proper striker's return. Uh, and, and I think Vieira said that he could have seen, you know, if you're being harsh, he should have probably scored 10 more this season. Um, and that, you know, for, for Zaha at 29 coming on 30, for him to start peaking now is really interesting for me. And I, and I think he is. I think he is peaking as a footballer. It might not be the expectations of other people where he's taking on three and beating them in a blink of an eye kind of thing. He's, he's sort of drifting away from being that player. I think now he is... You know, a proper forward, and he's got he's got a lot of time left still to to continue to to improve as a as a striker as a as a goal getter, and it was great to see this season. It really was. Um, but you know, Mike, you want to you want to jump in there before I go any further? Yeah, just to say, like, let's not forget that until a, probably a couple of years ago, Man United was still the one of the traditional top six that we hadn't beaten. So uh, let's not take this too lightly. Okay, they're on. You know they're, they're they're not doing great, but we'd gone something like seven or eight years, and we hadn't managed to get a win out of them, and it was the only team left. So it's it's a huge achievement. Like, like just because it's the last game of the season, there's freakish results. Let's not take away from that. It's a really good point. Was it the first win against them at Celeste in 31 years in the league? I think so, it was a, a ridiculous amount. Like Dr was a twinkle in the milkman's eye. Like, <laughs> It actually, it actually was before I was born as well, just to make everyone feel old. Only by a matter of months, but still counts. Yeah. I, and also, is this the most amount of goals someone scored since the Benteke 17 that we, we always go on about? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so it, it's, it's good to have a, a, a focal point like that. You think Gallagher's chipped in with a fair few. I think you know Mateta's chipped in with a decent number without playing a full season. You know, Edward's got a few and it's yeah, it's been an it's been an interesting season. But again, it was, again think about to Vieira at the end of the game. You know, it's one of the things that he talked about, wasn't it? That you know we scored a good number of goals this this season, but should have scored more. And next season he wants us to score more. You know, having a manager come out and say that is is so so good. There's no you know let's understand our limitations. There's no you know we've done well to do what we did. It's all about how can we get better? And I think that's a really good place to be. And I wonder if, if that's a point as well on Zaha's kind of, I don't want to say improvement because he's always been great, but like the, what you said earlier, Hambo, about like at the age he's at to be kind of coming into his prime now. But I wonder how much of an impact, I, I don't want to fall into the trap as well of like everything good being like, it's all down to Vieira but I do wonder if this is the first time in Wilf's career that he's had a manager that like really gets him and really gets like what makes him tick and you know when he's um uh, kind of putting all that pressure on himself how to kind of get through to him that that relationship seems to be really strong and I just I wonder how much of an impact that's having on him um this season and then hopefully for many seasons to come as well. I think it's massive. I really do. And I, I I understand the caution in overstating too much about Vieira. And we know this with managers, you know, managers, being a football manager is, is, is a, seems to be a really hazardous job, you know, in terms of, 
setting a standard for yourself and then having to to live up to it and having to continually progress and that's why so few managers make it beyond you know a couple of seasons and we don't know what will happen next year and all this praise of Vieira we might we might backtrack on and I, but I don't think we should I think this first season that he has shown himself to be a pretty incredible manager but I do think a lot of that comes from the player that he was it's you know he's the reputation he has most of the 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 young players will know and they've got better access now to the playing careers of the likes of Patrick Vieira. See, I still think of him as a, almost, almost as a current player. That's how old I've got. Um, but, you know, I can, you know, I can remember him starting off at Arsenal and right the way through, but just because a young player coming through, but, you know, Will, for example, will have recollections of Patrick Vieira at his peak as an Arsenal midfielder. I'm, I'm sure. And he would, you know, he would a hero worship the guy to so to suddenly be, you know, a peer. You know, yes, he's his manager, but players and managers are so much closer these days. And you know, Vieira is very hands on. So he's basically, you know, looking at Zaha as a as a you know a, one of the captains as a massively influential player. So you know, he's he's got his arm around Zaha and asking his opinion. So this the kid in Wilfred Zaha is like, oh my god, Patrick Vieira wants to know what I think. You know. So there's an element of that for sure. Um, and I think reputation uh, counts for a lot. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that Patrick Vieira has is that the attitude of a winner. And it gets talked about in really kind of loose terms. About you know, So it's a, something that's almost thrown out there. But it is really important to understand the, man, understand the mentality of, of a player who played at the top level as long as, long as he did and won what he won. You know, he played in a team that didn't lose a game all season. You know, he won a World Cup. He won a, I think he won the European Championship. That might have been after him. I can't remember. I'm old. But he, you know, he he's won pretty much everything that there is to win, you know, and, and, and had a very, very long career. So they, you know, if anyone wants to know what it takes to be a top footballer and to produce consistently... They have no better person to ask than Patrick Vieira. And, and that goes for Wilf right the way down into the, these academy kids coming through. And that's why he was such a good appointment. And that's why when you look back at the fears that people sort so kind of legitimately had uh, and some of the kind of dismissive attitudes towards Vieira when he was appointed, that's why they look so ridiculous right now. Absolutely. And the one of the biggest examples of that, I think, is Michael Elise this season, right? Like, I just... I as much as his talent is absolutely undeniable and he's obviously worked incredibly hard I just don't see that he gets the builds the confidence as quickly as he did this season without that kind of mental aspect of um Vieira's management I don't think yeah for sure for sure and and you know he does seem a very interesting character Elise um but he has you know think about how he was managed it was he was managed like you know the way a the way a Warnock would manage a young player. Do you know what I mean? He would give him a taste, take him out, give him a little, another taste here, start him, then you know drop him when he didn't perform. He's really managed him very very closely, and you know over the course of a season, Elise seems to have been perfectly introduced to a squad, and you know has has been dealt with you know as well as you could possibly hope for a young player to be dealt with. Right, so anyway, I think we got a, a little sidetrack on our review there of the Man United game. Um, so I do want to just make a quick reference to the fact that Jez Raksaki 
um, started that game and gave us a really good hour there and hopefully more minutes for the youngsters to come next season. But we'll take a short break now and head to the Dean Davenport interview. So, Mike, what do we got to look forward to here? Yes, so... For those of you that are invested in the women's team, this is going to be an absolute treat. And for those of you that maybe haven't had the opportunity yet, we've had a beautiful half an hour chatting to the manager of the women's team. So just please have a listen. It's absolutely fascinating. The guy is a legend. Let's let's go to him, then we'll come back and we'll discuss the rest of the season uh, and we'll wrap it up before we carry on tomorrow with part two. Alexa. Play Back of the Nest podcast. Playing Back of the Nest, CPFC podcast from Amazon Music. Back of the Nest, now on your Alexa device and Amazon Music. All right, hello all. Today we are very kindly joined by long-term Palace women's boss, Dean Davenport. Hello, Dean. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, all good. So uh, just to say we've got Cara uh, here to ask some questions and myself, Mike. So let, let's start on uh, this season. Obviously, congratulations. Um, give us your thoughts looking back at it. You know, finished really well up in fourth place. You know, how, how did it feel at the end? How did the season feel as a whole? As a whole, it was it was a really good positive season. Um, I don't think it was expected, to be quite honest with you, um, by, by people outside of the club. But obviously, we had, we had a good start. Um, we had a good 4-3 win against Bristol in the first game of the season. Um, and then it kind of, yeah, we kind of we kind of spoiled from there. We, it, we had a good little run. Obviously, there's been ups and downs, as as, as there always is in football. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, the main thing was that we all, we all stayed together. Um, what we did pre-season, we, um, we, can't, we kind of put a new philosophy together, me and James Mars. Um, I brought James into the club about 18 months ago. Um, and it, it was good because it enabled me to bounce more ideas off, off of James. He's very experienced in the women's game. Um, and he he always keeps saying to me, you've got to trust the process, trust the process. So again, we, we, we put a new philosophy in um, just to play, just to play nice, attractive football. Um, we wanted to create this identity that obviously players and fans wanted to come down and watch and people knew who we were when we were, when, obviously when we was on the pitch. Um, it's quite funny because we knew there was going to be mistakes. Um, we told the players that they had to have a hundred percent buy into what we was doing um, because there are going to be mistakes. But as long as we was to learn from their mistakes, then obviously we, we would get better as a team and better as a club. Um, and like I say, we started off with a great four three win over Bristol City, who were one of the obviously promotion candidates to go straight back up after being relegated, obviously from the WSL. So that gave us a big, massive, obviously boost at the start of the season. Um, and then, yeah, from there on, we kind of, we just kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Um, like I said, there was mistakes, um, quite quite a few mistakes, but trusting the process, obviously, and the players, I've got to give them praise because obviously it's hard to, when you can see goals, to carry on doing the same things um, that, that they're being asked to do. Um, they did that. And yeah, we found ourselves, got, went on a seven game unbeaten run. Um, that kind of pushes up the table, give us the points we needed to obviously carry on. Um, post Christmas, we we, we was um, we started off really well, and then we had a little dip in form where we we kind of played the the Liverpool's of the world and obviously the London cities, um, which we had a, a couple of a couple of harsh beatings to be fair, which brought us back down again to a little bit of reality. Um, but yeah, I've got to say the girls' hard work after that um, culminated in us finishing really well towards the end. 
Hi, Dean. Um, so you mentioned there in um, that answer about kind of the togetherness and sounds like there was a real effort to kind of make sure that that was there all the way through the season. I think definitely the couple of games that I got to, I came to the Charlton one and then the last home game season, uh, um, home season. Oh, oh my God. There's an edit point for you, Mike. If I can get my word down. Uh, I'll start that again. From the uh, couple of uh, games I got to this season, the Charlton game and the last home game of the season against uh, Watford, you could really see on the pitch how much like every single player was just fighting for each other as much as they were fighting for themselves. Um, but through those kind of more tricky parts of the season, how did you keep that kind of ethos going and keep that atmosphere around the the club, that kind of buzz that there was um, towards the end of the season, was it tricky to keep that going in the the harder parts of the season? And how key do you think it was to kind of the the result at the the end of the season? Um, yeah, again, it, yes, it was tricky at times, but I've, I've got a group of players that trust in trust in what we're doing. Yeah, obviously, like I said, trust in the process. But I've also got a group of players who, obviously, when 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 we started our recruitment, obviously at the beginning of the season, it was. We didn't recruit on on names or players that have played WCL football or players that have scored so many goals. It was based on obviously people's characters to come into to come into the squad. It was based on their values, and obviously I'm a Palace fan. I, I wanted to, I wanted to base it on obviously how how important it is for that certain player to wear the badge. And I think if you can get all them them elements in in a player, then obviously the, the, the togetherness will fall in. Um, and like I've said in previous interviews this season, the togetherness within the within the squad, staff, and obviously playing squad has been it's been immense. And if you can if you can keep getting them one percenters out of players um, at, at the end of the season, do you know what I mean? It, it, it does not make a difference. So for me, it, yes, it, it was difficult at times because you've got to pick players up after getting beat four 0 by Liverpool. But it wasn't just me who was picking players up. Um, we give we give a lot of the players a lot of ownership. Palace. Um, so again, we've got some big leaders, and we've got they've got big standards and high standards which they set themselves. So for, for me, it wasn't so much me me having to drag drag them up or my staff having to drag them up. It was the players doing it themselves um, because they could see what kind of run we was on, um, and all they wanted to, all they wanted to do was finish was finish really strongly. Um, but yeah, there was difficult times. But like I say, yeah, it, it, the players more or less dragged themselves through. Them. I mean, that kind of brings us on to the next question we had written down, really. So, you, you're going to lose Hannah Churchill. Like, I don't really... Uh, it'd be interesting if you, if you have insight into it and are allowed to share it. Like, how, how do you go about dealing with people leaving? And then how does how does the recruitment work? Yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can say some bits. Yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult um, at times because obviously some of some of the players that will be leaving us, I've got different reasons for leaving us. Obviously, Hannah's Hannah's retiring, which is a, which is which is a loss because Hannah's a lovely girl. Um, she's had a couple of injury problems, um, and I think it's time that she, she said herself, it's time for her to obviously think about other things outside of football in her personal life, which is which is which is fine. Um, she made um, obviously Hannah made that decision, but yeah, I'm, I, we're we're in that process now. Obviously, recruiting um, it, it's a nice part of the season, but it's also not not so nice part because obviously players will obviously get released and players will leave due to schedules that they can't make or their careers outside of football. Um, yeah, so you're on the phone like pleading to people, or, or... 
Yes, I have been pleading, but I've also had some <laughs> lo- lovely phone calls as well. So it kind of yeah. it kind of works both ways. Um, like I say, we're, we're we're doing two schedules at the moment, so um, it, it's it, it's difficult. But again, it's I want players that want to play for the club. I want players to know what it means to wear the club badge, um, and that's that's the avenue I like to go down. Um, and it's kind of worked for us. Obviously, last season we do a lot of our recruitment based on stats as well. Um, so players we bring in have to fit into the way we want to play. Again, most importantly, have to fit into our values. And just before we look too far out forward going into next season, I wonder if there's a uh, favourite game you have from last season, Dean, that you can tell us about? I think that's quite obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I think you was at it. Um, no, uh, to be fair, there's, there's been a couple. Um, it's not The Championship isn't an easy league. Um, by far, this is our fourth our fourth year in it, um, and this is probably the first year where we haven't been obviously down the lower echelons of the league, um, which is which is really pleasing. Um, but we've broken uh, again, we've broken loads of records this season. Um, obviously, most wins, most points, uh, most goals scored as well, and obviously our highest finish. Um, but within them, within them wins, um, I've got two really: Durham, Durham away, and at home, it's it's difficult to difficult to go to Durham. It's a it's a tough place to go. Obviously, travelling up there, um, and we, we we've we, we've never beat Durham um, in the in the obviously in the three years prior to being in the league. Um, but to go up there and get a result just after Christmas was was, was fantastic. Um, and again, both both the Charm games. Um, again, it, they've been a little bit of a thorn in my side throughout throughout the years. We've we, we've been playing against each other, and this season to 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 do the double over them was it was just it was just unreal for me as a as a manager and obviously as a Palace fan as well. Finish above them as well, and finish above them as well, even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, so talk us through that. So I think the club happened to mention recently that you've been with them for seventeen years. So maybe showing your age a little bit. So I don't know how you felt about that, but um, yeah, you, tell us about your Palace affiliation, how you ended up with them and stuff. Yeah, well, I've, I've, obviously I played football myself, um, and. I've got a daughter, Jade. Um, I've said it many times. She she came to watch me play every every, every Saturday, um, and she said she asked me if if she could start playing football. Um, so by all means, I, I took her down to obviously the Palace trial um, many many moons ago, and she got in. Um, I was still playing at the time, so I couldn't really give too much too much time um, to it. But obviously, used to go, you should take her training and obviously get to the games on a Sunday. And then obviously the, the manager at the time, he decided to leave. Um, and then Lee Snashfold, the chairman at the time knew what, knew I played a little bit and asked me just to take over coaching until they, until they found a new manager. <laughs> um, but yeah, that new manager never turned up. So it was, it was left for me and I just stayed there ever since. And obviously went all the way through the youth section with, obviously with my daughter's team, um, very successful, and then I was asked to take over the first the first team ten years ago, and I'm still here today. Hey, excellent stuff. And I mean, does it does it make a obviously because I think a lot of a lot of our listeners probably I've only really been able to start following the women's team within the last couple of seasons, so they're not necessarily um, that informed about things like. How much does it impact? Like, how much of it is a labour of love on a on an evening? How many extra hours do you guys do that kind of thing? Um, you know, we we just seeing perhaps the the um, Palace player and that kind of stuff covering more of you guys. Yeah. Um, it's obviously great to see, but like behind the scenes, 
how much of your your week is, is is Palace? How many hours a week are you you putting into it? Yeah, it's not just, obviously again, it's not just me, it's my staff and the players. Um, sure, I, yeah, sure. so on a, on a, obviously, my, and all the players have full time jobs as well. So obviously, we're a part time we're part time setup at the moment. So last last season, it was I can I'll just go through the schedule if it's easier. Monday Monday we would be in um, over at the academy ground. Um, we had, we'd have a day off on Tuesday evening. We'd be in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Obviously, um, off Saturday unless we was travelling to a game, um, and then yeah, game day on a Sunday. Um, so it takes more or less five hours, five hours of an evening, um, in, in obviously in the day, in in the week, and then potentially if we're travelling away, it's another depending where we go. Take Durham, it's another seven hours by coach, um, yeah. yeah, and a seven hours back on a on a Sunday. So yeah, it's it's quite a lot of time. And that's why I think the players and obviously in the staff have to have to be, give them so much praise because to do that after a full day's work is is immense. And yeah. I think that's where the difficulties kind of sit in. But their desire and their characters to do well it kind of it kind of helped us to get to get where we are today. So and just off the back of that, Dean, so it feels like you're kind of in like a bit of a um, transition period at the moment because I think so all of the WSL are full time, right? Yeah. Um, and I think a significant chunk of the championship are now. Um, so like what what's the prospect of, of Palace Women's going full time in the in the future and what kind of needs to happen between now and then for that to to come into effect? Um, yeah, there, there's been positive talks this, this season. Um, like I said, we've put two schedules together just so just in case we need to adapt um, to full time or, or, or literally stay at part time. Um, obviously, I can't say too much because it's it's at the hands of obviously Steve and and, and the board. So um, yeah, we potentially we could go we we, we could have a hybrid full time um, on, on our hands, which is which is good. Like I said, we've we, we've set two schedules out, so either one will work. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of obviously. Carrying on, get, 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 getting our heads down, just keep doing the work we're doing in preparation for, obviously, what, what will be. That sounds very exciting. It's just looking yeah. at what, what, what's been achieved this season and imagining what could what could happen if if we were all full-time. That would be very exciting stuff. Um, what And what does that kind of gap between the Championship and the Super League look like at the moment? Obviously, a lot of our listeners will be um, kind of really well aware of what the that gap looks like for the men's game but maybe not so much for the women so like what is the kind of uh, difference in standards when you're looking up to like a, a possible promotion and that that leap in the future yeah I think I think you can you, you can equally up with the men's with the men's the men's structure I think the WSL there's a big there's a big gap between obviously the top teams in the WSL to the to the to the teams in the championship um, say your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, and your obviously your Man City's. Um, obviously, the, the financial clout that they've got massively outweighs what obviously the, the clubs in the Championship can do. Um, and obviously, within the Championship, I think if you've got the biggest wage bill, you've got the biggest budget, um, the best facilities. It's shown in recent years. Um, for example, your Man United, your Leicester's, and your your recent winners, Liverpool. Obviously, all had the biggest budgets, facility-wise, and obviously have gone have gone into the into the WSL. Um, so I think obviously financial-wise is 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 massive. Um, if you if 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 you get good back in, obviously you know you enable yourself to make your squad bigger and to get better players in. But one thing I must say with Palace this year is allowing us to use the um, the new facility over at Beckenham, the academy ground, has been a major major plus for us because it's enabled us to obviously train train the four nights a week. 
well, last season trained the four nights a week, um, which has helped us obviously get more 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 game time on the grass, getting more information into the players. So that that again, that was a that was a massive plus for us, obviously last season. Yeah, and beautiful it is over there as well. It's like obviously you're over there some days you don't want to be, but on a lovely, beautiful, sunny day, it's a it's a lovely place to be. Yeah, it's unreal. Um, yeah, so let's just go back a little bit. So, obviously, you, you were you led the team when they were they were given a place in the championship. So, what talk us through that? Like, how how did that how did that happen? Is that one of your highlights as a Palace manager? I mean, I presume it is, but yeah, it, it was a highlight. At first, it started off as 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 kind of a low one because obviously we'd we'd been we'd put our our bid in. Um, from the chairman and obviously the general manager Paula at the time put a bid in for us to to go to go up to get be promoted, um, and obviously fed it into the FA. And it's quite a nice story actually. We went we we went down to we was given a date where the FA was going to phone us to let us know whether we'd we'd been successful in our application. Um, so the chairman decided let's all go to the pub and then obviously if it we was banking on it being a yes, um, and then we could all have a have a drink etc. and have a, and then it. It kind of waiting and waiting. Obviously, the phone call then came, and it, they decided that the application we put in wasn't good enough, wasn't quite right, so we wouldn't be able to go up into the in, into into the championship, which was a bit gutting because we thought we'd nailed it. Um, so again, then we, we we went back to our normal business, and I was obviously recruiting players to play in the national league then, um, and then literally, I think it was literally two weeks later another phone call came from the FA saying that um, I think it was Doncaster Bells had pulled out of the league and they'd promoted us back into it. But by then I'd already done my business um, bringing in players to to in the National League, the, low, the league below. Um, so we literally, that season, we went into that into the Championship with a with a team that was ready to go and win the, obviously, the National League. So that league was, that, 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 that league at the time was probably the toughest, obviously, season to date. Um, but again, the players did well. Um, we we managed to stay in the league, and and, and yeah, we are we, we are where we are today. Yeah, I, I presume you still had a celebratory beer at that point, right? Just... We had a we had a couple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Looking at um the team as it is now, Dean, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit. I hope you don't mind. Um, no <laughs> but start off with a nice easy one. So, who is the kind of the easiest to coach in the team at the moment? Who kind of uh, just you know. Takes to it like a duck to water, kind of secondhand woman, if you will, in the in the team. Uh, we've got a few. It's a tough question because they all, like I said, they're they're all good. They're all experienced. Um, they all they all lead themselves. Um, best trainer, I would have to go with Cole Haynes. I would say. And you can definitely see that paying off on the on the pitch. Oh, right? massively! Yeah, Cole Cole started off really well. Um, she had a little bit of a dip, like I think everyone does. But I think if you if you look at her her games towards the end of the season, um, her goal she scored from 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 midfield. I think she was the highest assists and goal scorer from midfield in the league um, when it finished. So again, she she's a very intelligent player. She works well. She works hard. Her work ethic is 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 unreal. Um, but like I say, they, they, we we've got all players like that in the team, and that that's the kind of togetherness that we've got, and 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 the work rate we've got as as individuals and collectively. And you can definitely see like after the after the games for, for listeners that haven't been down, the players kind of come out and, and, and say hi to the fans and spend a lot of time um, interacting. And you can definitely see how much fun they're all having, I think. Yeah. 
Do you know, Carol, I think that's important. Um, I don't want, want players to be discharged from from, from, from fans. Um, we work hard to get the fans through the turnstiles. Um, and, I, and, I, and I say it to them every game, it's important that, that we appreciate that. And it's important that we go over to the fans and we, we give them a clap. It's important that we go to the sidelines and sign sign the children's um, posters, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's important that obviously now we're allowed to go into the obviously the bar afterwards for for a bit of food to go and go and speak with the fans. It's that's that's one of my that's one of my things that I think it, I feel is important. And I don't think you get obviously I know I say you don't get it from the men's team because obviously for security reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But I just feel that it's important that that, that we do that with our fans. Definitely, it definitely creates a, a unique atmosphere, I think, for for a football fan um, to to experience that. Um, but the tricky question: who's your who's your team troublemaker? Who uh, <laughs> who winds everyone up? Is the bit is the practical joker who causes the trouble? Uh, we got a couple of practical jokers. I think I'd say I'd say Bianca and and Shiv Wilson. They were the two jokers, always on TikTok, always always dancing. Um, Lee Nichols not bad herself, to be fair. Um, but yeah, there's a couple. There's a lot of banter that gets thrown around in the dressing room, which is quite funny just to stand back and watch. Um, but yeah, it's it's it. That's what dressing rooms are like, aren't they? So yeah, it's good fun. It's all good fun. That's uh, it's worth reminding people. We did an interview with Lee Nickel and one with Molly Sharp as well. So they're back in our back catalogue. Um, we might give them an extra push after this one. Um, Obviously, I'm going to ask you a question now. It might be relatively difficult to answer. Um, if it's awkward, then feel free to tell us. But how has the relationship with you guys changed with the club over time? Um, you know, for example, as as a punter, and see this season that you can see the women's fixtures, the results, all kind of linked straight from the main CPFC page. So... How has it developed? How have you seen it, and, and is it going in the right direction? Yeah, when I obviously when I first when I first took over um, ten years ago, um, um, or a bit, bit bit more than that actually, Simon Jordan was in was in 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 the chair, um, and there it was non-existent, non-existent. We just used to obviously wear the kit, wear the badge um, that all the girls had to pay. Obviously, their annual subs. Um, that's when I first started. So that, difficult times then, really, because obviously we wasn't recognised. Um, within within the club as much, um, but obviously as time's gone on, um, I will say uh, obviously Steve, Steve Steve and obviously Phil Alexander, obviously I know and I know he's he's left, but at the time um, shown shown more and more interest, um, and like I say, the way where it is now, it's massive. We feel a massive part of the club. Like I say, bringing us into the in, in, into the training facility was a, was a massive buzz for us as as, as a club and, and as for players. Um, and the integration between obviously us and the men's team now is is, is massive. It's major. Um, it's never it's never been it's never been so good. Um, so yeah, I just and hopefully obviously that, that 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 continues to happen because we are part of the club. We do feel part of the club, and we 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 need to be Crystal Palace. We need we need to be part of them. So yeah, it's it's been good. I, I couldn't have asked for much more. And hope, like I say, hopefully that continues to grow stronger and stronger. How would you feel if um, come next season you got a text going, right? We need a thirty-foot Dean picture on the side of the main stand. Would you? Would you say? Would you say if if you're if you, massive mugshot of you when they're redeveloping the back of the main stand, big old picture of you? How would you feel about that? 
oh, I'd have to go on a diet first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, obviously, I'm not. I don't. I'm not one for things like that. But I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I could make. I could make it work. But no, listen. I, I, I'm one of them people that it's not all about. It's not all about me. It's not about. It's yeah. not about what I do. It's more about the players within within what we do um, and and the staff. Um, I'm very quiet, laid back. I don't really want to put my. I don't really put myself out there. Um, to be quite honest, yeah. Um, I just want us to do well because my my main thing is Crystal Palace is my football club because I've supported them from a really young age. My brother played for for them many many years ago, and it's just been in our family. My, all my, my my two boys have got season tickets. Um, they go to away games as well, so it, it, it Crystal Palace is part of us. Oh, we're, um, we're gonna we're gonna win. we're gonna hit you with some questions on the men's season at the end. So don't you okay. worry about that. <laughs> So, so, so yeah, it's just yeah, it is what it is, and I, I just love doing it, and it's something that I want to continue doing until I get told otherwise. And Dean, how important would it be for the women's team? Do you think to be able to play games at Sellers? Obviously, Hayes Lane is a is a really good um, location for the kind of size of uh, kind of fan attendance at the moment. But how important yeah. would it be for the players? And also, what impact do you think it would have on the number of fans attending if those games were at Sellers? Well, I'd like to think that obviously, if if we was potentially allowed to play, obviously our games at Celeste. I know we've obviously we have, we have literally one a year, um, and obviously this year's game was against Sunderland. I think we had something like seven hundred, possibly eight hundred turn up. I can't can't quite know, know the figures, but again, um, it was a massive. It was a great experience for the players. I think for some of them, it was the first time they played there. Um, walking into the changing rooms and seeing again, seeing all the facilities, etc., etc., was, was was amazing for them. Um, I've 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 been in charge for about I think it was three or four games there now, um, but if we obviously if we was allowed to play there, um, would the crowd come? I'd like to I'd like to think they would. Um, it's just it, it's how we market it and 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 get and get the, the obviously the fans through fans through the door. Um, we have our we have obviously we have our loyal core of, of supporters. Um, and what I must say is this season our attendances have gone up, which is which is good. And obviously I see new faces. Obviously every, every other week we play at Bromley. Um, but at the precise moment in time, Bromley is our obviously our hub is our home ground. We've been there for many years now. Um, I'm not saying I don't want to play at Sellers, but I just think I just feel if if the attendances were right and we could we could raise the attendances, then obviously playing at Sellers would be would be amazing week in week out. Well, similarly. So one gripe that I brought up on the pod a few times, well, two gripes, I suppose. Firstly, I think too often there's a clash between the men's first team and um, the women's games and sometimes the age group games as well. Um, and I don't know if that's easily sortable, but it, it would be great for the, for the women's games to appear on the Palace player. Um, I don't know if that's your remit in any way. But um, is is that something that's kind of hamstrung by the, the rights of the championship, or, or is there a chance that maybe we'll see, you know, women's games appear on the Palace player for those people that have played for it? I don't really know the answer to that question. We've played it. We've had a couple of games on the on, yeah. in the Palace yeah. TV. Um, obviously, we've got the FA player that obviously gives us coverage of our games um, every, every every week and highlights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I'd have to ask obviously Paula, the GM, that question. Um, but yeah, if, if 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 it's if it's possible, I feel it's doable, um, and I'd like like to do it, obviously, because that that will get us out to the fans even more. Um, yeah. So if it could be done, then yeah, magic. We'd love to do it. Yeah. So I've got a little girl; she's six, and 
you know, she she wants to watch women's football. She's not interested in men's football, absolutely. But at the moment, pretty much, like you say, you're either on the the FA website, which is um can be a, a bit up and down, let's say, um, and then uh, otherwise, I'm going to lose her to watching uh, Emma Hayes for, and she's going to end up a Chelsea fan. So um, it's something that needs to be resolved. We can always bring her down to Bromley, mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I might start. I might start a personal lobby because I'm actually moving away from Croydon uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so just for me, I'd like them to be on TV, which I don't know if that's going <laughs> to make any impact. But um, but I think it's a point as well because you know the wider club has fans all over the world, right? Um, and yeah. it's not always possible for for them and for, for for other fans for the reasons to get down in person. But I feel like it would create help just help create, raise that profile and create that buzz around the team if we could have more access to it in the same way that we do to um like Mike mentioned, the kind of um youth teams uh that always I think all of their games are on Palace TV and just just helps as well, I think, follow something Alex Scott said the other day um, uh, in, the, I think it was halftime in the coverage of the um, Women's FA Cup final, that like we're in a yeah. position now with women's football where you can really follow players' journeys and like their careers and you can buy into kind of uh, their stories a lot more than maybe you used to be able to when that information wasn't around. And I think that's probably a big part of it. Like if you can go back and watch how a player progresses over um, a season or how the team's progressed over a season, you just have that bigger level of buy-in. Um, and how much of an impact do you think that would have on the feeling for the players, Dean? Do you think it would make an impact to have that like wider attention or does it still just come down to kind of that atmosphere on the on game day? I think I think it's both. I think every footballer wants to be wants to be noticed, and there's no there's no difference from obviously from our girls. Um, some of them do get noticed quite a lot, which is, which is, which is good. Um, but I think I think the FA have got to start looking at it as well. I think obviously there's a lot around the WSL, obviously being on Sky and being on obviously the BBC Red Button at times. Um, and I, and I think if if they're doing it for the WSL, why, why why couldn't they obviously drop down into the Championship even if it's just for highlights? Um, for goals scored, whatever. Obviously, that 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 also will also give us give, give us that the, the screening that obviously we we, we need we need as a club. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that they've got to look at because um, at the moment it's getting better. It's getting better, but can it can can we go even further and introduce the championship alongside the WSL? Um, I think once once they do that, I think it becomes it becomes more interested to obviously the wider fan the wider person to actually come down and have a watch and, and see and actually see the way we play because we do play some attractive football there is there is good football in the championship um so so yeah i think it's something they need to look at um something they need to work quite hard on to be honest okay yeah absolutely um so we're gonna we're gonna finish off with a few difficult questions so <laughs> for, so first of all uh, expectations for next season and can you give us any low down on new players? And I probably can guess the answer on that, but our expectations are to always to start the season to go and win the league. Um I always start with we need every every season we need to progress. We need to get better than obviously where we finished obviously the previous season. Like I say, we've done that we've done that for the last four years. Um obviously this year fourth 
stroke joint third. If you, I'm, I'm hanging on to joint third just because of the goal difference. But we need to obviously first and foremost we're in the league. If there's one team better than us, um, then we've got to look to come second. Um, but our ultimate goals is to obviously at the start of the season, like everyone's would be, is to go is to go and win the league. Um, on player recruitment, it's still ongoing, mate. So I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't say nothing. Yeah, figured as much. A technical question, Dean, on the player recruitment, but I promise it's not not going to push you on releasing any uh, state secrets. But how do the contracts for the women's team, uh, women's players, work? Is it do they get the kind of two year, three year deals, or is it on a kind of um, rolling basis? Is there like a standard across the league? Because I, I have absolutely no idea, and I'm going to guess that quite a few of our listeners don't either. Yeah, I couldn't. I could obviously. I can't say for other teams, um, but for us. We do do a one-year contract, um, and then but they, 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 we also do a contract with an option. Um, but I do know this season we are looking at doing two-year contracts, two-year deals. So we've predominantly gone with one year, um, some some with an option. Um, but what I can say is obviously yes, this year um, the, the kind of recruitment what recruitment way we're going, um, we are looking at obviously two-year deals as, as well as alongside the others I just mentioned. Nice. That's a, yeah, maybe a symbol of the kind of um, forward planning of the club and that kind of extra bit of stability that that there seems to be throughout the team at the moment. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Like I say, it's tough because obviously the players have got careers outside of football Mm. um, at the moment. So until we we make that plunge definitely into obviously full-time football ourselves, um, I think that's when obviously things change within the club and it becomes a little bit, a little bit easier to, um, to, 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 to deal with them situations. All right, we're going to uh, see if you want to put your Palace fan hat on now. Manager hat off. <laughs> uh, give us your thoughts on what has also been uh, a kind of mirror of the excitement of the the women's team's success um, over this season. The men have obviously had a successful season as well. Do you, have you had time to follow the men's team? It sounds like you're pretty chock-a-block with um, with the your day job and, and your managerial job, but what, what are your thoughts on the season that the, the men's team have had? I, I, think, they've been, I think they've been outstanding. Um, I, I, I try and get to as many games, obviously, as I can. Um, I went to, obviously, the May United game um, Sunday and I thought I thought that was outstanding. But for the whole for what Patrick's done when he's come in and turned obviously the kind of everything around the the, the football is more attractive. It's it's easier on the eye to watch. And no disrespect, obviously to Roy because he's done a fantastic job um, from the tenure that he, he was in. But I think we kind of took the shackles. Patch, Patch kind of took the, the the shackles off, and and the football we're now playing is is good to watch. And listening, listening to all the pundits now on the telly, it it it, it gets exciting because they they they're starting to say good things about us as, as as a club and as a team and as the way we play football. Um, and we're we we're, we're certainly a difficult team to now go and beat. Well, I finish off with a couple of questions. Then, firstly, have you been lucky enough to have a beer with Patrick Vieira? And is what what, what kind of what kind of guy is he? Um. The answer is no, Aww. not yet. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to, but yeah, yeah no, that's not. <laughs> we'll sort yeah. up late for you guys to get. <laughs> and and what what would you um what would you say is a successful season next season? Obviously, I think it's probably still transition season for the men's team. But how would how would you say a successful season? Um, I think if we, if 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 we get the right signings in, um, I think and, and play the same way. I think if we can look look towards Europe. 
um, getting getting one of them slots. I think that'd be that'd be a massive season for us. Um, like I say, like you said, we're in transition, but I've got to say we we, we play some fantastic football, and and now it's it, like I said, it, we're a difficult team, obviously, to come and beat. And if you've got if you've got Guardiola saying that, then you, you you know you're on the right the right path. So yeah, I think if we can if we can if we can eye up a Euro, Euro, European place, that 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 would be fantastic. Right, so you heard it here first, everyone. Dean is adamant that there's going to be promotions to the WSL and we're going to be in Europe as well. So, excellent stuff. <laughs> right, cheers, Dean. Really appreciated your time. Um, you already spend enough time as it is and then chatting to us as well. So, thank you so much. No, lovely. I appreciate it. And thanks for, thanks for the interview and thanks for putting us out there. We'll, it's, 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 it's really we'll good. We'll get you and the team on regularly. We'll keep it happening. So that'll be the third one we've had this season. We'll keep it going. Lovely. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Fantastic stuff there from Dean and the team. Well, I say that uh, in full disclosure. I haven't heard it yet, um, and this is this is how podcasts work, isn't it? <laughs> I I had to do that because Mike had just taken a sip of beer, and I wanted to have him exasperated whilst trying to swallow a beer. Uh, he may edit this bit out. Hopefully not. Um, anyway, so <laughs> obviously hugely appreciate Dean giving his time uh, to Cara and Mike. Um, so look, let's talk about um, the first half of the season. Um, perhaps, you know, we've touched on some of the themes already uh, and, I, and I will start there really. We talked about Vieira, the job he's done. So there's, there's, there's no real better place to start than our own reactions. How do we genuinely think, how, you know, how do we remember us feeling on the appointment of Vieira? And I'll probably start with you, Cara. What do you think? And then after you've answered and Mike is answering, check your Twitter and go and find out what you actually said. I think I'm in the blessed position of not having tweeted anything, but I will ah. go back and check that. Um, I'm going to have a look while you're talking. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, I well, I, I think I was really excited. I um, So I have a really... Uh, when Palace... When someone treats Palace badly, uh, I react in the same way that I do if it's happened to, like, a friend of mine or whatever. So the whole thing over Nuno really really made me very 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 angry um so then we obviously appointed Vieira well after however many other people we went through but appointed Vieira and I was like do you know what if he respects the club and he, and he wants to come to us and he's not gonna take the piss then I'm very happy um and I absolutely loved him as a player um and I was kind of just quite open-minded because I hadn't really paid any attention to his kind of uh managerial appointments 
uh, prior to him coming to Palace. So um, was kind of ignorant to any of the concerns or hope that uh, maybe those people who paid more attention had. Um, and it just kind of felt like we were in a position where there were so many things up in the air. It wasn't just a new manager. It was like uh, uh, the uh, huge change in kind of player personnel and everything at the same time. But I think my attitude was just a bit like, all right, let's 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 see how it goes. Um, and that appears to have gone quite well. Yeah, I mean, I just found a tweet saying that you were absolutely devastated that Roy left and that this was a <laughs> terrible choice. But fair enough, I'll, I'll retweet that in a bit. Um, I was kind of ambivalent. Having I, I, I love me a bit of MLS, and um, he'd done he'd done all right at, at at New York, but he'd not set the world alight. I didn't know anything really about the knee situation. So I bowed to Patrick on that, who who knows his stuff. And um, straight off the bat, you know, he said, this is the right guy. Um, and a little, I mean, we'll cover it, but a little bit sceptical initially at the start of the season. I didn't think it was going to be another absolutely terrible gone in five games job, but I, I wasn't sure whether he was capable of, um, you know, pulling off a decent finish. But it's got a lot to do with the players we got in as well. So, I mean, if him and Dougie worked that well together, you know, it became pretty obvious pretty quickly. I was enjoying the football more. And as soon as you enjoy watching it, then you're behind the, you're behind the manager. So it didn't take long for me to be a big old fan. Probably the same as everyone else, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, you forgive a lot when the football is decent. But, you know, at the same time, if you have a, a run of defeats... Um, it it really it, you know it can still sap the life out of you. And Pardon. We are, yeah, well, exactly, yeah. And and when you see no kind of, not even a nod to trying to change something, you know, if you go back to Pardew, it's a really good example that you know he did try to play some some decent football, and at times it was good. But his approach to losing football matches was to say, ah, you know, you lose football matches, and you just have to wait till you win football matches. And you just kind of like, okay, Alan, could you try and do something about it though? Um, and he didn't seem keen. Whereas, you know, you, you look at this season, Vieira's first season as Palace manager, he's built a squad. It's new players all trying to gel them all together, completely new centre-back partnership. Um, and we didn't lose more than three games on the bounce um, at any one stage of the season. And that only happened twice. Um, so there was never really a moment where, we could lose any real faith in him. You know, there was there was a tricky start, and we'll get into that in a, in a second. It was a tricky start. And then there was always a moment. There was never a, a point where it seemed hopeless. It seemed like we were on a downward spiral and we couldn't get out of it. There were a lot of draws. And there were and most of, if you remember, most of those draws were us thinking, how did we draw that? We should have won. And it wasn't how did we manage to scramble a point out of that game when we've seen none of the ball. It was It was completely different um to to see palace in that position uh it was still frustrating um but 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 it was different so uh just to to read my tweet and then we'll we'll move quickly on uh, because we are on a tight time schedule here um i put on the 6th of uh, july 2021 really enjoyed the Vieira interview on the official palace site I'm hopeful that this is a progressive appointment that fits well. It won't be easy and we'll need to give him time to build the club the way he wants, but he's saying the right things and has got a lot going for him. 
So that's that was my that was my opinion at the time. So I don't think, despite Dr's best efforts this season to lie to everybody in Twitter and say I'm Vieira out um, when he gets bored, um, I don't think there's anyone who will find anything negative from me about Vieira around the appointment. Or uh... I mean, the only person on the back of this WhatsApp that's ever been Vieira out is Dr. Every time we lose, isn't it really? <laughs> Sorry, and I. I as you said that, I just got distracted. He actually first tried to say it in, on the 15th of August where he claimed that I was joining him on a video chat uh, to talk about why Vieira should be sacked after the first game. So, yeah, he was trying for the whole season to uh, to do that. Anyway, um, so look, um, 3-0 uh, defeat against Chelsea, the first game of the season, uh, was a tough Game we obviously didn't have Gallagher at the point, but it was a, it was you know really tricky start to the season. We drew nil nil against Brentford. We then lost to Watford. Well, can I just say we we had a lot of players out as well. We really yeah oh absolutely right. There was context for all of this, uh, and then drew two all with West Ham. Um, so Cara, did you did you kind of fear the worst that start, did, did, or, or was what you were seeing you know encouraging enough for you not to have any fear? Yeah, no, I didn't fear the worst. I, I, mostly because I don't think anyone expected us to have a cracking start, right? Because, like, there was, again, there were so many unknowns that I don't think the expectation was, oh, we're going to go and absolutely storm it. Um, as Mike said, like, we we also had, like, a fair amount of players out injured at the beginning. So it just kind of felt like, well, my memories of it anyway, maybe I was a bit more uh, angry at the time, but um, my memories of it was just a bit more like, okay, what are we watching here? Like, what's the plan Let's see how like Vieira reacts to this and how the players react to it, um, and go forward from there. So I really, yeah, I didn't feel panicked or um, I don't want to say I didn't feel disappointed. It's obviously you never want to see your team lose, but it didn't feel like the same way that we had been losing the year before. There wasn't like that kind of heaviness and that like depression around the way that we were playing it just kind of felt like we were what we were which was a new team finding our feet and um you know up against okay a Brentford side that was newly promoted but they kind of that first month or so took the Premier League by storm in a way um, and we were like a really well gelled team and stuff and so I think our performances just reflected quite accurately where we where we were that that's true and again I don't think that that's um you know that's not looking back now and and deciding that that was the case because of how things turned out i think that genuinely was how most people felt it was you know frustration perhaps during during the games i think the brentford game was quite hard to watch uh, because it just wasn't quite coming together for us um and, and i think the defeat against watford was was a really tough one to take as well as we played started to play some some nice football uh, and I, but I think the west ham game from my recollection was one of those where you started to see the kind of the way that we were going to play. Gallagher got both those goals, but I, I think we were one nil and then two one down, and we hit back um, in, in both cases. I think the second Gallagher goal was only a couple of minutes after Antonio had scored for West Ham, um, and, and you know cele- celebrated hugely, and it was a really satisfying game. And we we kind of finished that game quite strongly, and I think that was a moment where I started to think, okay. You know we're not we're not doing too bad here. And what followed that, Mike, was a was a three nil victory over Spurs. And again, cast your mind back. That was Edwards' uh, first game. Came off the bench and scored two goals. In fact, all three goals were scored in the last uh, 
uh, the last 14 minutes of, of the game with that 3-0 victory. But uh, that was a, a really strong performance, if you remember. And, you know, what was, you know, you're thinking about your kind of reaction at that point? All I can remember, really, is after the game, Terence pointing out that uh, Edward scored a goal something like every 3.6 minutes he was on the pitch <laughs> um, and realising that he was the greatest striker of all time. That's um, it, yeah. You, you know, that, that kind of result a few years ago would have stuck in the memory to the nth degree, but those things are happening more and more regularly and, yeah, absolutely beautiful result. It, I know that it, it was soon squashed with with the next result because, uh, you know, we I, I know we went up there hoping maybe we'd get a draw, but we lost one 3 nil, then lost 3 nil, which I think is an we looked at the time as incredibly rare occurrence in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, beautiful day. No, exactly. You remember that that Liverpool game was a really tough one to take as well. It was a goal just before half time. Uh, go, go on, Cara. I was just going to say, not that I hold a grudge, but I do. And uh, that Spurs game was particularly delicious because it was against Nuno after he'd fucked yes. my language. So that was my overriding memory of just the joy of uh, the team that he tried to use as a pawn in his game defeating him overwhelmingly yeah. was beautiful. Fantastic point. And, and, and one of the things that I had genuinely forgotten, I couldn't, I, I, when you mentioned him earlier, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, we were basically going to appoint him. And, uh, and then I, I didn't think any more, but you're quite right. He was, you know, obviously Spurs manager at that point, uh, but not for, not for a tremendously long time afterwards. Um, got, uh, got a real, Real hard time of it. Such a shame. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. But the, the Liverpool game, I remember being a, a tough one to take. I think we'd done really well in the first half. We'd, you know, we'd looked actually quite dangerous at times, but but had struggled to really create. But we weren't, you know, we weren't terrible. We weren't giving giving too much away. And it wasn't, you know, it was just before half time. I think Mane got his his standard goal against Palace, um, and then yeah, we. You know, it was another one of those where you just felt performance actually deserved a bit more than than we got. You know, that's where officials started to get talked about and things like that. It was one of those type, types of games, and you know, we'd uh, we'd be wrong in this first part as we as we look back. It'd be wrong not to obviously reference the fact that the game after after the Liverpool game was our first game against Brighton, um, where you know um, we went, we didn't play brilliantly, but we played. It was, you know, it just wasn't a great game. You know, I, I had a look back at the stats earlier and there was only, you know, Brighton had six shots in total in that game and we had five and it was, you know, very, very even, but not, not particularly great. And we, we didn't do ourselves justice, but we were winning the game until the, the 95th minute when, uh, when obviously more pace scored. Um, and, yeah. And, and, and celebrated like they'd won the league. It was, um, you know, again, that was that was pretty hard to take, and it was at the time. You know, we went and drew, drew against Leicester, then we drew against Arsenal, back to back two twos, which is another rare occurrence. Uh, just ju- was, ju- just yeah. jump in there, like, um, I mean, the Arsenal game was an amazing away day, just because there were so many back the nest people there. But the Leicester game, um, we've got this narrative in our head that we conceded goals late, and obviously we we did against Arsenal, and it was it was tough to take, but. The Leicester game, we we came back from 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 being behind, um, yeah. and it's important to remember that did happen as well. No, you're absolutely right, and you know momentum was a really big thing there. You know, it was it was 
really we'd we'd seen it as I said the first time we saw it that season was against West Ham where we just mentally were strong from the off and and that has to come down to the manager that has that really does to instill the belief in the squad that the game isn't dead the you know and we would have to be really disappointed when I remember vividly how disappointed the you know we were as fans when when West Ham scored and straight away two minutes later Gallagher scores again and it's 2-2 that was the first time that the team showed that that mental toughness but you're right the Leicester game was a fantastic example of that we were nowhere near them in the first half second half absolutely miles better and decisive changes great mentality decisive changes that's what was was the biggest difference for us in probably in the whole season and you know I, I think just as we sort of draw towards the the conclusion of looking back at the first part of the year i think you have to look at the the man city game um and the performance we put there it was a performance where we conceded a lot of possession you know um and it's not our normal way of playing and you think back to the to the uh, to the nil nil i think later in the year um in the, in the season where we were much more on an even keel i think with them in terms of how we played despite the fact we didn't win the game um but this was one where we let them have the ball, but they just they could not get through us. They, you know, here's a, here's just to show what a great performance it was to to beat them two 0 They completed five hundred and sixty two passes to our two hundred and thirty one. They had sixty eight percent of possession, yet they only had the exact same numbers of shots as us: three on target, four off target, seven shots. So we played counter attacking brilliantly that day. I remember James MacArthur was outstanding. Wilfred Zaha was outstanding. Conor Gallagher was an absolute beast that day, you know, getting into the flanks and crossing the ball in. Tackles everywhere and, you know, just just a menace and, and getting the late goal um, to, 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 to really seal the win uh, after the early Zaha goal. So an absolutely fantastic game and probably a, a high watermark for, for us in the season, Cara. No, definitely. And I think it like was a really exciting point where we started to see one thing that I don't think we've mentioned yet, which is as the season went on, being able to actually have some squad rotation, which yeah. like, what what is squad rotation when you're called the ballers? Um and we had that and that enabled that switch in play depending on who our opponents were and it's such a small thing but I think when you're used to just having like one starting 11 that is your best starting 11 and you just got to hope for the best then being able to like really uh have a a, a starting 11 put out that is tailored to defeat the opponent uh and then they go and do it and they manage the game absolutely brilliantly was I think when we started to maybe not started but when we really saw how well Vieira was doing managerially and how much all of the players really knew what they were doing and were got to a point where they were so well drilled on knowing exactly what their individual jobs were on the pitch and exactly how that fed into overall performances so it was a real I think you're right I think it was a real kind of mark of the of the season and of this team yeah definitely you know we've we've ended the year as a as a team Man City didn't score against you know the champions were unable to beat us, were unable to score against us. We were, you know, we were excellent against them. And again, you look at the manager, you look at the coaching staff and what they did preparing for those games. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, and not many do um, do that against Man City. So um, I think that really just shows the level that we were capable of. Um, but and, and, 
you know, we weren't far off on the consistency either. But, you know, I know we, you know, we finished, we, we ended that game and, and went to Wolves and, and beat them 2-0 as well. So that was really great. Uh, I know briefly, Mike, you might want to touch on the madness of the Burnley 3-3 that followed. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly gutting and kind of after after those games, six points from two games, thought, okay, well, Burnley's in the bag. But that is almost a lesson into, you know, not thinking like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's proper like pinball game. I, I know we went 2-1 down, but, you know, to go in at 3-2 and then for them to, to get an equaliser, Depressing game, um, and for uh, uh, Kawa, you you driving up there? I mean, damn, not even drinking. Yeah, although <laughs> although I was protected by the fact that it was my first ever away game, so there was some excitement. And the first half was so wild that we just sat there, myself, Escafin, Dr. Uh, Half time while uh, Chris Clark went and got a drink, um, and we all just kind of sat in a bit of shock silence and was like, "What? What?" Like it was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just felt a little bit traumatized. I think with the like amount of things that had happened in in the first half, um, but it was it was a disappointing result. But um, I don't know, it's part of the part of the journey now, isn't it? Well, it but, is... uh, uh, sorry, Amber, you go. No, I was just going to say when you look back at it, you know, we we had a high point. We beat Man City. We we followed it up with victory against Wolves, which was really comfortable, and they were doing really well at the time. But the Burnley result was a was a kick in the teeth, and it actually sparked was that that spell that four games from Burnley three three, all the way through a two one defeat against Villa, a one nil defeat against Leeds, and a one nil defeat against Man United. You know, that was probably I would say one of the low points of the season. You know, we we kind of got the highest point and the lowest point in very quick succession um which was you know in some ways it was good to get them out of the way together really so it was uh you know it was but it was interesting to see that was a, that was probably the thing that i remember most about that period of the wobble and i looked at it after we lost to man united personally and thought okay well we got a run of games here now that are going to be you know pretty important to where we're going to end up this season um but we you know we we beat everton 3-1 um, you know, you think you turned a corner again, but then two-two against Southampton, Spurs beat us three-nil, um, and you just think, oh my god, okay, when are we gonna, you know, put a decent run of results together? Um, and you know, it it kind of just at the end of the year, we'd got to that point where we never had the the awful start and the really tough period of settling in that we kind of expected that we would have to have had. Um, but we'd started to dare to dream because of the football we were watching and, and the performance against Man City in particular. We started to dare to dream. So we got taken a little bit back down to earth, you know, as we passed through Christmas. You know, that Boxing Day defeat against Spurs was was a really tough one. And you kind of just thought, OK, maybe the second half of this season is going to be a, a bit tricky. And I think if we can leave it in a sensible location, um, Quick reference to the fact that after that we beat Norwich three 0 which again you would have expected, uh, and then lost to to West Ham. So again, not really putting anything together. We then will stop at the point where we played our first FA Cup game of the season against Millwall. Uh, so memories from that, Mike. Yeah. So I mean, let's first of all, uh, Tottenham away. That was tough because yeah. their their fans are. 
as we all know, horrific. So um, needed a stiff drink after that. Uh, but my absolutely my favourite game that I was there at for the, for the year was Millwall way. Um, to go one nil down from from the from the Butland era uh, for 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 the chance that came over from them, you know, about the HF not saying anything. Then for us to win two one, um, you know, some horrific chance, some exactly what you'd expect from from Millwall, some some stuff that took you straight back to a time way before I was born. Thankfully, um, they're still at it, but. You know, it was so satisfying. It was, you know, Butland at the end apologising that the team celebrating in a way that you you rarely see from professional footballers. Absolutely amazing. And all it was was the third round of the FA Cup. You know, it's not like we'd stayed up in the Premier League or anything. Absolutely hands down my favourite game of the season. Great place to end this pod. Um, I'm sure Kara's got equally great memories. I do, although the one memory of that day that I don't like is the fact that we missed Mateta's goal because of how slow the service was at half-time. <laughs> so another thing that I'll never forgive Millwall for. But um, I do think when we then went forward from that game through the rest of the season, we can look back and in many ways it felt like there was almost a bit of a coming of age for Michael Odise there, maybe. Maybe I'm putting a bit of a fairy tale mm. spin on it, but I think the games he'd played in prior to that, we'd uh, I think we all commented on maybe there being a little bit of shyness in the games that he'd started um, and, you know, not quite being able to come on, um, st- start the game and, like, attack the football. But the, the kind of hostility of that game... Um, he just thrived in it, absolutely thrived. And then from from that moment onwards, there was never a game where he looked like that kind of shy player again for the rest of the season, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, a great a great kind of battle to have witnessed, but also a really nice part of his journey maybe to, to look back on as well. I think that's a really good observation. Uh, and again, as Mike said, a really good place to to end our, our first part here, which is, you know, that, that Elise did visibly grow in that game. The fact that he got direct abuse and you we remember the photo, remember the stuff being chucked at him and all that kind of stuff. And he just stood up and it's where you really saw what a character he actually is as well, because, you know, he can, he's one of those similar to Wilf can be taken very much the wrong way. If you're not careful, you know, in, in a totally different way, you know, Wilf gets stick for being a passionate and, uh, and, you know, argumentative, player but that's the mentality he goes onto the pitch with to get the best out of himself at least say at times looks very casual reserved shy all those things and you know to the point where he doesn't even really celebrate a goal and um but then you just see in that game what you know what steel there is underneath it what what drive there is Um, and as you say that really just it stayed with him for the rest of the season and, and showed what a tremendous footballer he is. So thank you very much to Mike and to Cara. Thank you to list for listening to this first part of the show. Uh, and, you know, we, we of course have valued uh, all of your correspondence throughout the course of the year. Um, and, you know, apologies, you haven't got any of that in this show, but it is an end of season review and, it, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Nick will reach out as he hosts the second part uh, for some comments and questions from yourselves. But for our part, um, we're done. So, Part two will be with you very shortly, but it's goodbye from the three of us, uh, and we hope you have a great summer. Just keep an eye out for special shows and reactions on all of our social media accounts, 
especially over on YouTube, uh, where you should like and subscribe immediately if you haven't. Cheers. Bye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.